namo tassa bhagavato arahato asamasambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato asamasambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato asamasambuddhassa pudang damang sangang namasami I wanted to offer a, f- a few reflections this evening, um, tying together some themes of Dhamma and some of the contemplations that we've been working with today. Um, this is, um, you know, that it's wonderful that we're all together, and, and part of this is actually not so easy, you know, to open up some of these cans of worms and to start to touch into the feelings and the thoughts and the concerns and the anxieties that are present because I know for myself that the, it's, um, there's a lot there. And so for me, there's something about, you know, we've got one person leaving throwing up and another person leaving with a baby being born and the combination of the two of these things just in the middle of kind of opening up what we're dealing with is absolutely perfectly indicative of kind of the richness of what we're working with, of life coming forward and systems that are not digesting and processing what it is that, we, what, what it is that we're facing. And, um, and I know for myself there's times when I just... I just I get caught with, uh, like, you know, just deep feelings that uh, are, are totally overwhelming. You know, feelings of dread or anxiety or fear or, you know, since what we heard today, feelings of uh, hopeless, feels hopeless. And, you know, what I have, what I have understood in the Buddha's teachings is, is, is that, you know, in the, the first noble truth, the truth of understanding suffering we have to look and touch what is there we have to be able to feel it to know it to 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 see it to hold it to begin to name it and as we start to do that as we do that then what happens is is, is that we're not engaged in the feeling in the same way as when we haven't done that. Naming it, knowing it, holding it, allowing it, opening to it, is a different experience than being absorbed into it, identified with it, and uh, immersed in it. Or it is a stepping stone to another way of being with these feelings. So the... When the Buddha was talking about the Four Noble Truths, the first truth is, is that there is suffering. And one of the things that we're dealing with is, is that the suffering that he was talking about in terms of old age, sickness, and death are the, the sufferings of an individual life or the, the natural sequence of life. 
And part of the reason why, you know, what we're, what we're facing is so, uh, so big is because we're not just talking about this as individuals through a natural cycle, but we're talking about this in a, a large scale where there's, uh, the, the, the magnitude is hard to wrap our mind around the kind of implications of what we're dealing with. And still, and still, you know, I have a lot of confidence in the Buddha's teachings and uh, I have found that when I bring my attention to what is present and open to it, then I can find a way through. It's not possible to solve something that I am not able to accept that I can't open to, that I don't know what's going on. And so the first noble truth is, is the exploration of opening the doors, seeing what's there, knowing and naming the suffering. And that gives rise to the second noble truth, which is to begin to start focusing on where the problem is, what's actually the cause of the suffering. Now in our individual lives, in my own individual life, I have seen a lot of times that part of the problem is is that the suffering is coming because of a real strong fundamental desire for things not to be the way I, I want them to be. And when that's the case, when I can focus on the desire for them not to be the way I want them to be, for something to be different, then in that movement I can see that there's a shift. But in my own personal experience, I have also seen that I have been in systemic suffering that wasn't something that I have created myself and it wasn't something that I could resolve simply by seeing that I was relating to something I didn't want to be there. It required another frame of reference. And that frame of reference, when I was in something that was systemic, required the collective to be able to come together and name it not the individual. So, for example, when I was living in England, and for, for many years the nuns' community was dealing with a, a tremendous amount of, of challenge, and we were trying to apply the noble truth in terms of our own individual personal relationship with what was going on. And that wasn't addressing the situation, because the situation was actually a systemic one. And as a group of people, as we could name what was going on as a systemic situation, then something began to shift that we couldn't actually shift personally in terms of our capacity to know, to name, and to see what was happening and begin to get a framework of what was needed in order to address it. So the Buddha's teaching is 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 looking at this not from the systemic perspective of something that needs a whole group of people to come together to figure it out, but from the individual personal perspective of how we can work with what's going on in ourselves. And yet I have seen in my own life, in my own experience, there's times where as individual people we can't figure it out ourselves. We have to come together and know it, and name it, and look at it as a group. And as there's more cohesiveness, and congruence, and a sense of, of, of friendship, and solidarity together, 
then we have more confidence, more capacity, more clarity, more strength, more conviction to deal with what it is that we are dealing with. It doesn't mean that the Buddha's teaching is not correct. It means that the context in which we are normally applying the teachings need to sometimes shift when the context shifts. In my own personal circumstance, what I could see for myself was as I began to frame uh, the problem and understand that it wasn't about me trying to fix it, but trying to get us to be on a, on, a, on a page together and work congruently and cohesively towards a collective response and find strategies or mechanisms or ways of working within the situation to do as much as we could. And then in my own personal life experience, I could see that the, that context wasn't providing what I needed to do what I needed to do. And so I needed to leave that context. So it isn't as if all problems can resolve if you just apply things in the right way in that particular context. Sometimes you need to leave the context. But in leaving the context, I have found that I am able to live as a nun with a lot of integrity and in a way where I can uh, bring together what I feel is really important and be in service of the of of others and create uh, uh, con- uh, environments where what feels like what's really important can be uh, addressed and spoken about and attended to by the people who are coming together. So there's a sense of great joy and a sense of tremendous fulfillment and a sense of 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 movement that in that other context I couldn't imagine I couldn't see was possible it seemed like it was stuck it was solid, it was frozen it didn't seem like there was a way that it was actually going to shift so the Buddha talked about suffering and he talked about the cause of suffering and what I have seen is, is that we need to work with it both in how we are relating to things in ourselves and what is the systemic problem that we are dealing with and how we can work with that as a group. And as we begin to dovetail these two components, our personal relationship and the systemic relationship and finding cohesiveness with the group, then a clarity emerges about the ending of suffering and what is needed in order to tend to that. What does that look like? How do I embody that? How do I address that? How do I speak to that? How do I live that? And what impact does my living that have on the people around me?
Now I want to change context and talk about this from another perspective. I live near the Garden of the Gods. The Garden of the Gods is a 160 million year old rock formation that was part of the first Rocky Mountains. These Rocky Mountains are the third set of Rocky Mountains. The Garden of the Gods has been used as a sacred site for millennia by various different Native American nations. And they had an agreement because many of these Native American nations didn't get on very well with each other. In fact, some of them were at war. And the agreement was is, is that they had to leave all of their weapons at least one day's walk away from the Garden of the Gods. And so, they would go and they would meet in harmony, they would do their business in harmony, and they would leave in harmony. And then they would continue on in their journeys. And outside of the Garden of the Gods, they could still be at war with each other. But inside the Garden of the Gods, they were not at war with each other. Now the Garden of the Gods is ten minutes walk from my place. It's five minutes bicycle ride. And I go there every single day. And I have gone there in snow, and I've gone there in rain, and I've gone there when it's been 105, and I've gone there when it's minus temperatures. I go every single day. And I go because it is an incredible, powerful place for me to drop in to awareness that pervades everything, into a love that is unconditioned. And when I'm in that, I can see and know without a shadow of a doubt that that love is the essence of everything. There isn't some things that it is the essence of and other things that it's not the essence of and it's only for Buddhist people or it's only for liberal people or it's only for Democrats. This love pervades everything and everyone and every aspect of life. And when I'm there and I'm in that, I know that to be the truth. And so, like everyone else, like all of you, like all of us, I get knocked by some of the stuff that we're dealing with and experience profound anxiety and fear and dread and the horror of what it is that we're facing. And I go to the Garden of the Gods and I drop into this space of awareness that is so huge and so embracing with so little resistance that whatever it is that I'm feeling, no matter how enormous it is, is contextualized by the vastness of that awareness and love. And it ceases to be a problem. ceases to be a problem. The biggest problems in the whole world cease to be a problem because I'm relating to them from a totally different perspective. And my nervous system unravels and I feel completely relaxed and totally peaceful and very grounded. And I'm not in some kind of a fantasy trip about all of a sudden everything is fine. 
but there's a sense of awareness and unconditioned love as the essence of all of life. And from that perspective, there's clarity, there's conviction, there is capacity, there is interest, there is willingness to do whatever I can as an individual and to gather people together to do what's needed. I don't have all the answers. I don't know what's needed. But I know from that place, all kinds of things happen that I cannot just imagine on my own. And I have confidence that in that space of awareness that pervades everything, that in that resting in unconditioned love, resources that none of us can imagine are things that all of us can tap into. And so what has shifted? The world hasn't shifted. The problems haven't shifted. My body hasn't shifted. And something has radically, fundamentally, totally shifted. Because I'm not coming to what needs to be dealt with from a box with all of the limitations that I know very well about the way my mind and body works and what I am capable of figuring out and what I can't figure out and what I need to do in order to make it happen and fix it and how as an individual person with the limitations that I have, it's totally overwhelming and it's outside of my capacity. All of the normal things that I normally think about are not operating in that space where mind is resting in awareness that pervades everything where love pervades everything. I'm not coming from a limited, individual, separate sense of who I am in relationship to the world out there. I know, and I know from the marrow of my being, that there is a connection, a unity, that I am not different from anyone or anything, fundamentally. And that when I live with that knowledge, weird things happen all the time. Magic happens. It's like gold dust is sprinkled all over the place. And what seemed completely impossible is just all of a sudden happening. Like, 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 like I can't even imagine how fast it's happening, but it's just happening. Because I'm not coming to life from a limited perspective of who I am, what the problem is, and the limited capacity that I have to relate to it. Every day I go to the rocks. Every single day I go to the rocks. And every day I go to the rocks because I don't live with that knowledge all the time. So I need to go to a place where I can remember what it is that I know. 
And it isn't that I know it, it's just knowing. It's just a knowing that is there, that I can have access to, I can drop into it. And when I am there, in that space, with that knowing, there are no problems. The Buddha talked about a path, an eightfold path. And in this eightfold path are conditions and factors that support coming into understanding of what is all pervasive and timeless, has always been there and will always be there. And in my own understanding, based on what I've observed and seen. One of the central features of this path in our modern world with what we're dealing with is our connection and relationship with each other and the world. That we can feel the impact of the water (coughs) soothing our nervous system and the wind blowing through our mind and feel the impact of the freshness of the rich aroma of the earth. And let it receive our footsteps and support us as we walk. That we actually tune into the earth and feel the reciprocity of being in relationship and with each other, what it is to hear each other speak, what it is to receive each other's pain, what it is to share similar concerns, what it is to listen, what it is to give feedback, what it is to be here together. That in every branch of the eightfold path, one of the central hubs of what we're dealing with now is relationship, our connection with life, with other, with the land, with the creatures, with the water, with the birds, with the coyotes, with the mountain lions, with the bear. I go and put my body on the earth and let the earth hold me and remind me of what I know. I ask the earth to receive the pain that sometimes feels more than I can hold. I ask the trees to help me ground. I ask the trees to help unravel my nervous system. I ask the rocks 
to hold me. And they are incredibly generous. But they are not intrusive, invasive. They don't grab you by the ears and and haul you off into the corner of the woods and demand you do something. They will respond if you ask. They will not intrude if you don't. So we walk around as little boxes, isolated, thinking we're going to have to figure it out by ourselves. And we're in this rich, alive, vital, responsive world that is absolutely happy to be in relationship with us if we are in any way able to meet it even partway. When I cease to think that I have to figure out what the answer is, I let go. And as I let go, a space opens up. And sometimes I have to hang out in that space without an answer for a while. And sometimes somebody else whispers the answer that's just totally obvious. Or it comes on a, on, a, on, a, on a yogi tea thing. <laughs> or it comes from the, uh, some kind of, a, of, a, of a, something that somebody in the street said. Or a, a casual conversation with a person sitting in, in the garden of the gods. Or it comes in totally weird ways. I don't have to come up with the answer all the time. But I do have to let go of needing to fix it, to find it, to solve it, to make it, to do it. To, for, I have to let go of me being the one who is doing it. And when I let go, I open to something that's much bigger. And that bigness has an intelligence in it that I don't have language to articulate, but totally trust. Today, all of us were practicing with listening without our normal habits and speaking without our normal habits. And it's not easy to do that because the habits are really strong. It's not easy to engage in life without having the idea of me being a fixed, limited, individual self having to make it happen. It's a really deeply ingrained habit. But habits is not the ultimate reality. Habits don't run the whole universe. And we can choose to not follow habits that are not helpful. 
and practice following habits that are helpful. And as we do that, there's more space, more genuine listening. And when there's more genuine listening, there's more genuine connection. And when there's more genuine connection, we're not so alone. And when we're not so alone, we can find answers to problems that seemed absolutely impossible. Impossible. I, Santusika, and I were working on some things this last couple days. And if you had asked me if it's possible, I said, no, this is categorically impossible. <laughs> There's no way we can do this in this amount of time. It's totally impossible. But because I didn't actually even engage in thinking that way, I just went ahead and did it, it happened. But if you'd asked me, I'd say, this is impossible. This is absolutely, totally, categorically impossible. There's no human way that two people with this amount of time, in this kind of time framework, with the amount of things that we have to do, can do what we need to do. It's not possible. But I didn't give that any room, whether it was possible or not possible. I just engaged in doing. Now, I didn't engage in doing with the, with the idea that it was going to happen. I engaged in doing with the idea that, what do I have to lose? The way forward is to meet what's present in the present moment. The way forward is to understand the suffering that's present in the present moment. The way forward is to recognize where the cause of suffering is coming from. The way forward is a path that supports the conditions that help us see things from a perspective that is much bigger, much faster than the limited, narrow idea of what we normally think is possible. What is all-pervasive is here in the present moment. It always has been here in the present moment. It always will be here in the present moment. There's nothing that anyone can ever do to take something that is ever-present out of being ever-present. So enough for an evening, a rich, remarkable, and very beautiful day. Enough for an evening to rest and to contemplate and to think and to consider, not to believe anything that I've said. (laughs) 
but to just see what kind of resonances that you have where if what I've says resonance resonates with what you know to be true, it's because of your own truth, not because of believing my truth. Of letting the earth hold us and the wind hold us and the fresh smells of the fright sweet water hold us and touch us and inform us and the animals that are in the land. We're not in this by ourselves. We never have been. And we never will be. So let's close for the evening. People can rest as they need to.